Good morning and welcome. I'm glad that you are here today. For those of you that maybe are joining us for the first time, I'm really glad you're here. My name is John and um, the pastor here and the, the lady that was up here, that really pretty lady that was up here talking earlier and giving all the everything going on with the church. That's my wife. That's Jess. And uh, so we're really excited about everything that's happening with the church. And we are right now in the season of love. Okay, that's the L word that we're talking about. We're hitting the stretch from Mother's Day to Father's Day. Lots of things happen. Graduations happen. Weddings. This is wedding season. And everybody, by the way, is making up for all those weddings we missed last year. So there's weddings everywhere. Love is in the air. Don't be confused by Valentine's Day. The love season is from Mother's Day to Father's Day. And so we've been talking about love. We've been talking about relationships. And I know that means Different things for everybody in the room, and so we've been talking about the concepts or the principles that go behind great relationships, and then letting you apply them to your relationships however God leads you to do that, uh, with the exception of last week. Last week, we had the child dedication, and we had a bunch of really adorable kids up here on stage, and parents made commitments to raise them in a way that would bring them to honor the Lord, uh, and so we talked about parenting last week. But otherwise, we just talked about concepts, things like sacrifice and service. Things like commitment in a relationship. How important all of these things are. And uh, I was thinking, though, uh, we've got Father's Day's next week, and so I've already had something planned for Father's Day, but I didn't really have anything locked in yet for this week. And I was like, what are we going to talk about? You know, like, what principle really makes a relationship work? Obviously, the, the byline on the series is also uh, learning from love himself, or learning to love from love himself, I think is what I've been saying, which means I've been saying it wrong, and that's okay. Uh, but you get the idea. And so I was like, well, okay, so what, what, do we, what haven't we talked about that we really need to talk about? And it dawned on me, we've been talking about commitment and sacrifice and service and all that kind of stuff. And I was like, yeah, but what about when that doesn't happen? Because the reality is, I, I'm not... I know there's a lot of different relationships represented in the room, but I can just, I can think about mine. Those are the ones that I know best and like my relationship with my wife. Okay. I am committed to my wife. Do I always express my commitment to my wife? Nope. Sometimes I'm more committed to myself than I am to her. <laughs> we talked about being selfless and myself ish sometimes. You bet. <laughs> we talked about, oh, what else? Uh, I don't remember what else we talked about. We talked about love, okay? And uh, I was going to do try to do three because that's what you do in messages. You do sets of three. So I was going for three off my hip, and I didn't have it. So uh, we'll just do two. I'm not perfect. You're not perfect. And we mess up all the time. So the reality is we're talking about our relationship with God, right, and, and him setting the model for our relationships with other people. And when it comes to our relationship with God, obviously we don't get it right all the time either. He always gets it right, but we don't always get, to get it right. So what is required when things break down? <laughs> Forgiveness. Forgiveness. And so today I want to talk about forgiving, how we do that. And I understand that because of the situations that some of you find yourselves in or some of the situations you have been in, that this is a, can be a very personal thing to talk about. And I would imagine that even when I say the word forgiveness, that some of you had a face pop into your mind, a person that you've either had to learn to forgive or you have not yet learned to forgive and you're struggling through what exactly that looks like. And I get that. I've had uh, a lot of relationships in my life that have been really, really difficult and particular seasons in my life where I was with people that I thought I could trust, people that I thought were on the same page as me, people who were going to have integrity and were going to be honest with me, and they weren't. I've had situations where people were having, you know, secret conversations and meetings behind my back to betray me, and I didn't know what was going on until it was too late. I've, I've sat down and had people lie directly to my face about what they're doing or not doing in ways that affect my family greatly, then stabbed in the back and all of it, stabbed in the back and stabbed in the front and all of that, you know? And I'll bet you have too. And it's really hard when you go through seasons like that or you encounter relationships like that to understand what forgiveness looks like. And the idea of forgiveness can be really, it's not only incredibly hard to forgive, in fact, it might be the hardest thing you ever do, but it can also be really confusing 
You're thinking about people maybe right now that you need to forgive. Maybe you're thinking about like a parent, like your father or your mother or a child, one of your children. You're thinking about a spouse or a fiance or a boyfriend or a girlfriend or you're thinking about a close friend that you'll need to forgive. You're thinking about your ex <laughs> or your neighbor or your pastor. <laughs> thinking, I might need to forgive him sometime. You might, that's right. That's right. How do we keep these relationships going? Forgiveness can be really confusing. Because what if, what if the person did something wrong, but they won't admit they did it wrong? Right? They just, how are you supposed to forgive someone like that? Or they did something wrong, but they don't even know that they did it wrong. <laughs> so they don't even know they're wrong. They don't even know forgiveness needs to happen. Or maybe you're in that situation. Someone thinks that you've wronged them, but you're like, well, I haven't done anything wrong, so you won't admit that you're wrong, but they think that you're wrong, and you're trying to figure out what forgiveness looks like in that situation. Or you've got someone that you need to get forgive, but they're not around anymore. So what do I do about that? Because they moved away, or they passed away. Okay, so if I... It, if I forgive this person, does that mean our relationship has to go back to like it was before? Does it mean, is it forgive and forget? I've got to just got to put it behind me, remove all the consequences, and we got to go right back to the way we were, and i got to open myself up to be hurt by them in the same way that they have already hurt me? Forgiveness can be incredibly confusing and can really is very situationally specific in many ways. And so we got to figure this thing out, though. It's not something that we, we need or can or should keep pushing down the road. Because forgiveness, forgiveness is essential for any healthy relationship. It's essential. It's essential for progress in that relationship. I was thinking about it this week a little bit like walking or running because I was, I was listening to someone explain walking or running. It's not something I've ever really thought about before because I just do it, right? Well, I walk. I don't run, but I walk. And it's something that just sort of happens innately, but someone was explaining the process. It was actually, interestingly, on an episode of Shark Tank, okay, where this guy had this invented this new kind of treadmill. But anyway, that's another story. Uh, he was explaining how running, that when you run on a road, you're actually falling forward is what you're doing. You're, you're using gravity in order to create motion. So I was thinking about that in my head, and if you, you just picture it, if I just pushed up and forward, if there weren't gravity, I would just go out into space, right? <laughs> I would just keep going this way. But I push up in this way, and then gravity pulls me back down to the ground, and I step, right? And then I go again, and it pulls me down to the ground, and I step. And I step. And even more so when you're running. When you're running, you actually lean forward as your body moves. But I was thinking about the fact that walking and or running are the process of continually falling and catching yourself. <laughs> and I think in some ways relationships are like that too. That it's a process of failing and forgiving. Failing and forgiving, failing and forgiving, and the more that you fail and forgive, the stronger the relationship becomes if you do it in the right way. But if you don't forgive, if you don't catch, then all you do is fall. Some relationships are the, the process of failing and falling, but a good relationship is failing and catching. Okay? Failing and forgiving, failing and forgiving. It happens over and over and over again. I once heard someone talking about parenting, and the phrase they used was, all of parenting is grace. It's a constant process of forgiveness, especially with children as they make mistakes and as they learn and they grow. And it can be easy to become resentful of your children because you're not forgiving them. It is an essential part of any relationship. So what we're going to do, like we've done every week in the series, we are going to learn from love himself. Okay, We're going to look at the way that God does this with us, then we'll understand how we do it with other people. All right. So I guess the question is, um, is there ever a case where God needs to forgive me? Daily. Yes. <laughs> he has to forgive me all of the time. My relationship with God is a constant process of forgiveness. I'll explain what that means, okay? But and it, it is with you as well, okay? Now, when we talk about, when we think about what does God need to forgive us for, our, uh, obviously, we think of sin. 
And our mind probably goes first to salvation as a whole, eternal salvation. And we know that we have salvation by the grace of God if we've put our faith in Jesus Christ for salvation. What that means is Jesus Christ, the Son of God, took on bodily form. He came to earth. He lived here without sin. And then on the cross, offered himself as a sacrifice, paying for our sin. So he, he, he put himself in our place on the cross. And then he was placed into a tomb. And on the third day, he rose again, proving he has power over sin and death. And the agreement that God has made with us is that if we believe in Jesus Christ for salvation and have faith in him for salvation, then God gives us grace and forgives our sin for all of eternity. Past sin, present sin, future sin. Everything that we have done, everything we're doing, and everything that we will do. He forgives it, us for it, the eternal consequences of that sin, so that when we die or when Jesus returns, whichever one comes first, we will be with him for eternity. So he's forgiven our sin across the board in that sense. But then what happens is we go through life and we continue to sin. And we continue to sin, and that sin is covered by Jesus already, so we'll not have the eternal consequence of that sin. However, that sin that we commit starts to create a relational fellowship barrier between us and God. And that has to constantly be dealt with in order for us to be in close fellowship with him. And I think that the, the best uh, analogy of that that we have is, the, is marriage. You know, when I, in uh, May 24, 2003, when my wife and I got married roughly 18 years ago, when we got married, we stood in front of God and the pastor who was doing the wedding, my dad, and a whole room full of people. And we made vows to each other. And in that moment, God united us spiritually. But even though we were united spiritually, we were not 100% united relationally. That's a process that's happened over time as we've gotten to know each other, as we've gone through difficulty together, as we've had to go through this process of, of uh, reaffirming our unity with one another. So spiritual unity happens in a moment, but relational unity happens over time. And the same thing is true with us and God. That spiritual unity with Him by his sacrifice, Jesus' sacrifice on the cross, happens when we put our faith in Jesus. But then our relationship with him happens over time. And how close we are with him, how faithful we are with him, all of those things will depend on our relationship with him, which requires constant forgiveness. Constant forgiveness. And so if you think of it in, the, the, in, a, in essence, the way that we do... Um, or what we call ordinances in the church. We have the ordinance of, ordinance of baptism, which Jess talked about a moment ago. We're doing that in two weeks. We're having a baptism service. Uh, baptism is what you do after you put your faith in the first time. You put your faith and trust in Jesus, and the next thing to be done is to be baptized. It's not required for salvation, but it's the next thing we should do. So if you've put your faith in Jesus for salvation, and um, you've been saved by the grace of God, and you haven't been baptized, that's the next thing for you to do. That's a step of obedience to take. And so that's happening in a couple weeks. That happens one time. But then after that, we have something that Jesus instituted called communion. And communion is our ongoing affirmation, physical display, affirmation of our faith. And so we take bread and we eat it and remember his body, which was given for us. And we take a cup and we drink and we remember his blood, which was shed for us. It's our ongoing physical affirmation of our faith. So think of it like that. Baptism is the moment and communion is the ongoing thing. And uh, we are actually going to be taking communion today as a church. We haven't done that in some time, so I'm very excited to be doing it today. Um, we are not, because the logistics are not going to do it in the room, um, the seats are burgundy, so you wouldn't notice a grape juice stain, but we're just going to avoid that for right now. And so uh, what we're going to do is do it after the service. So if you're not comfortable taking communion or you're not a believer, uh, that's fine. Feel free. We're, we're going to finish the service. We'll all leave. You can go on and uh, do what you got to do. Anybody who wants to stay and take communion, the elements will be at the doors as you're leaving today, and we'll just kind of huddle up out in the lobby, and we'll take communion out there together. Okay? It'll be really cool. All right, but that's our ongoing thing that needs to happen. And so ongoing sin requires ongoing forgiveness, not for eternal salvation with God, but for fellowship with God. 
And the same thing is true in our regular relationships. And this is an idea that was uh, I never understood or at least didn't understand for a very long time. And then I just decided I wanted to understand it. And so I dug into it. And there are I found every, every uh, Greek word in the New Testament that resembled forgiveness in any way. I put it into a, I'm a nerd, so I put it into a spreadsheet. It was like 400-some. There's like 12 different words. There's like 400-some verses. I put them all in a spreadsheet. I color-coded them. I researched them. I looked into the actual words. I looked into the usage, looked into the context, totally nerded out over it. I actually had a theory about forgiveness that I was trying to either prove or I ended up disproving it, so that was a good thing. Um, that's why you do your research. Uh, but I've looked into this idea of forgiveness in depth, in depth, in depth. And so I just want you to know uh, how confident I am in this being the way that God relates to us. And then how we are supposed to relate to other people. That the relationships that we are in require ongoing forgiveness in order for us to have relational unity fellowship and closeness with each other. We can't be harboring grudges. We can't be resentful of one another. We have to deal with these things through forgiveness and then move on. All right, so I want to talk today basically about how this works. And this, I understand this is not going to cover every situation that you find yourself in where you need to forgive someone. There are some very difficult things you go through. I want to talk about forgiveness in a relationship that we want to continue, that we want to continue in that relationship. All right. And so here's what we need. This is how ongoing forgiveness works. First thing is that we need bold humility when we are wrong. We need bold humility when we are wrong. Now think about this in our relationship with God. All right, God has already he's already offered us forgiveness. He already stands with his arms wide open to us. When we fail though, he already knows what our sin is. What he's waiting for is bold humility. He's waiting to come to him and to admit that we're wrong, to confess that we're wrong. Um, when uh, the when uh, John the apostle is writing uh, in his uh, his letters, not the Gospel of John, but the epistles of First John, Second John, Third John. In in First John, he's talking to um, believers, and he says something that is often used and applied to salvation, but that's not what he meant for it to be applied to. I think you you can apply it there. But John isn't talking about salvation in his epistle. He's clear at the beginning of his letter that he's writing to believers. So he already assumes they're saved. He already, he's assuming they're saved. But his letter is about how they abide in Christ, how they stay in Christ, how they have fellowship with God, how their relationship continues since they are saved. And he says this, uh, 1 John chapter 1, verses 8 and 9, said, if we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. Now, obviously, we have sinned before we're saved, but he's saying even after, he's talking to believers. So he's like, so even after you've been saved and forgiven of that sin, the eternal consequence, even though you've been saved, if you, say, if you think that you're perfect from there on out, <laughs> you're a liar. You continue to sin, right? If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. Verse 9. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And that word, I told you I researched all these words, but the word that he used there for he's just to forgive us our sins is to, it means to, uh, uh, to wipe away, okay, to move out of the way. So what that means is that God stands with his arms open to us, but we need to confess our sin to him and say, God, this is what I've done. I know I've failed you. I know I let you down. And when we do, when we do that, he says, wonderful, great. In a sense, we clear the air. If you want to think of it that way, we clear the air. You and I are back in relationship. We're back in fellowship. Again, I think about my relationship with my wife. When I fail her, when I sin against her, when I do something wrong, and I know it, there's this tension that exists between us. There's this barrier. Some of you, you're smiling because you know how that feels, right? There's this tension or this barrier, and it's not until I humble boldly myself and come to her and say, hey, the way I spoke to you right there, I was short with you, and the way I spoke to you was wrong, and I know it. And you know that, do you know that feeling, Right? When it's received well, <laughs> and it's always received well with God, but when it's received well, it's like this weight is lifted up off of your shoulder. Like, okay, we good again? Yeah, we're good again. 
Right? That's the way that it works with us and God. It's the way that it also needs to work with each other. And ideally, we would go first when we're wrong. doesn't always work that way, but we would that we're wrong, and we would be humble enough and bold enough to admit And that sure is a lot harder than it sounds, <laughs> isn't it? But if we want to be, if we want the relationship to have peace, then that's what we have to do. To come and say, I messed up. And I know that's a little bit scary. Part of the reason it's scary is because when we do that with someone and we're, th- we're that vulnerable with them, we don't really know how they're going to respond. We don't know if they're going to come back with, thank you for saying that. I really appreciate it. I forgive you. We're good. This is, you know, like if it's going to be a very gracious response, or we don't know if they're going to come up back with, I know you're wrong. You know, just waiting for you to say it. Like they're going to continue to punish us for it. You know, we don't know how they're going to react. So it can be a really scary thing to do. Now, you need to understand you never have to be scared of that with God because God's response to you is always going to be grace and forgiveness, okay? So you never have to worry about how he's going to respond to you. But it can be a little bit scary with other people. But if you want there to be healing in the relationship, it has to happen. If you're the offender, you need humility to admit that you are wrong. Uh, When James is writing about uh, their fellowship and, and struggles and sin that people are dealing with, He says in uh, James chapter 5, confess your trespasses to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. We need to confess to each other what we've done. If it's sin against someone else or even if if we don't even feel like it is against them, we can still confess it to them. We pray for each other. And let me tell you, when you do this sincerely, when when we are willing willing to get over ourselves, and admit that we've done something wrong, and in humility, come to someone and say, I was wrong. Will you please forgive me? It is unbelievable what it does for a relationship. The kind of trust that it builds in a relationship. And so I want to strongly encourage you, if you have a relationship where you know that you have failed them, you know that you've sinned, to be boldly humble, and confess that to them and ask them forgiveness. Maybe it's in your relationship with God. Maybe it's with a family member or a friend or classmate. But confess your sin to them and see what happens. It's the only way that the relationship is going to be healthy. We need to boldly, we need bold humility when we're wrong. And then the second piece of this is that we need empathetic grace. When we are wronged, I think this is harder. It's harder to extend grace than it is to ask for it. Because in this situation, we're putting ourselves, if you think of the analogy between us and God, we're putting ourselves where he sits. And he does this so well. We don't always do it so well. Now, the opposite of this, the opposite of of empathetic grace is prideful judgment, which is what we prefer, by the way. <laughs> prideful judgment to say things like, how dare they? How dare, how could they? I would never, I would never, ever, ever do that to someone. And because I would never, ever, ever do that to someone, that puts them in some sort of different class than I am, some sort of different category than I am in. And so they are therefore deserving of punishment for this. And so, boy, I'm going to punish them. Right? I'm going to get them. Even if they don't know it, find sneaky ways to do it. (laughs) I'm going to get them. I'm going to get them back. I'm going to settle the score. I'm going to get it even. Right? It's prideful judgment. And we do that kind of thing, and, you know, we think we're hurting them. (laughs) We're never hurting them, almost never hurting them. We're only hurting ourselves. One of my favorite quotes uh, comes from an an American author, Anne Lamott, and uh, she said that unforgiveness is like drinking rat poison and waiting for the rat to die. (laughs) It doesn't work like that. 
Us holding resentment only hurts us. Us trying to get even only hurts us. Us being prideful or self-righteous or arrogant, it only hurts us. It only continues to hurt us. What we need, what we need is empathy. Somebody used this word uh, in a conversation I had with them many years ago, and it stuck like glue in my mind, in my heart, this word empathy. They were actually talking about marriage. And I was doing, I was interviewing them for a thing at another church. And I said, if you could, if, if, if married couples could learn one skill, one thing, if you could give them one word that would fix their relationships or would make all the difference, what is it? And, they, and I'm expecting love, commitment, forgiveness, some, you know, some, one of the, you know, grace, something like that. And they said, at the same time, both of them said, empathy. Empathy is the ability put to put yourself in someone else's shoes. It's the ability to put yourself in someone else's shoes. I think a lot about this. When, when Jess does things, and she's awesome, but she's not perfect, when she does things that upset me, to try not to take the position to say, I would never, I could never, I don't even understand why someone would put the dishes in the sink like that, you know? Like, <laughs> it doesn't even make any sense. I, I, crazy. How could you do that? Instead of that, saying, yeah, well, you know what? I make mistakes, too. Like, I don't fold my laundry. It ends up, it's a, I, my laundry, just so you know, it's why, if you, you've ever noticed, it's always wrinkled. I iron a shirt on Sunday morning just so it's not so wrinkled, but it all just stays in a pile on the floor. And I know it drives her crazy, and I still do it. But I know those are small things. But... The ability to say, I could do the same thing, or a version of the same thing. And it's easy for me to sit here on my pedestal and judge other people for what they do and say, I would never do anything like that. But the reality is, I probably will, and I probably have. And I would want grace in that situation the way, same way that they would want grace and need grace in that situation. We need to have empathetic grace. You might say, well, how does that fit with the analogy of God loving us? How could God have empathetic grace for us? God is, he's never sinned. He, how could he understand? Well, listen, he does understand. One of, one of the most moving things to, to me that we, that we see in Scripture is the reality that part of the reason, part of the reason Jesus took on human flesh and lived this life with us was so that he would experience on ground level the same things we experience. That he would face temptation, that he would face relational issues, that he would face conflict, that he would understand all of the things on a, on a very personal level, all of the things that we go through. And you need to know that you have a God and you have a Savior that understands. That can understand why we do the things that we do in the situations that we're in. The author of Hebrews talks about this a good bit, trying to explain Jesus as our, our high priest and says, we do not have, this is Hebrews chapter 4, verses 15 through 16, for we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses. Now, to be fair, Jesus is more sympathy than he is empathy. Empathy is the being able to know from experience, and sympathy is being able to know from the outside in, uh, and empathy is inside out, but he is able to sympathize with our weaknesses, but was in all points tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us therefore come boldly to the throne of grace, that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. We know that we can go to God and that God is going to respond with grace, with empathetic grace or sympathetic grace. And when someone comes to us, someone who has wronged us, and they are coming with bold humility, we need to extend to them the same thing God extends to us. Grace. Grace. Remember, he said, if we said we were without sin, John said this, if we say we're without sin, we're lying. We could do the same thing that they're doing. 
But what often happens, someone hurts us, and we try to set them in a different category than us. I would never do that. We dehumanize them. We villainize them. We don't deal with the issue, and often they become more of a concept than they are a person. And we direct our anger and our resentment at this concept, at this idea of this person. And I don't know if you've ever noticed this, but often when you finally do get a chance to sit down with them, all of a sudden they're not the person that you've created in your head. And so we have to humanize them and realize they are just like us. And it's essential, by the way, for us to forgive. Because the breakdowns in the relationships that we have with people here also create a breakdown in our relationship with God at the same time. I had a friend uh, several years ago who got fired from his job, and it was, a, it was an ugly situation. He was great at his job. He was a high performer. Uh, he was a, a great leader, like everything, all checked all the boxes. I was thinking, man, if I had a company, I would, this guy would be the first one on my list to hire. And a, a new president came into the company, not a huge company, mid-sized company. New president came in and felt very threatened by this guy. And so he wormed his way around and wiggled his way around, and there were backdoor conversations and all kinds of scheming and all of that, and finally figured out a way to get my friend fired and fired him. It was wrong. It was underhanded. It was like, like it grossed me out to even hear about it. So shady. And so he gets fired, and like the first thing he does is come over to the house, come over to our house, and he just wants to vent. <laughs> so I was like, all right, go. And he just, just like all of it, you know, just out on the table, just going and going, going. They did this, and they did this, and they said that, and I can't believe that they did this, and they talked to this person, and they, say, they lied to me about that person, all this kind of stuff. You know the stuff. You've seen it. And they did all of this stuff, right? And he gets it all out, all out. All. He's sitting there like out of breath. I was like, okay, are you done? He's like, I'm done. Like, good. I said, you are going to forgive them. And he just stared back at me, <laughs> like, not, not now. <laughs> this is neither the time nor the place. <laughs> I said, you are going to forgive them. And I know that's hard. But you're going to forgive them because God forgives you. And as long as you hold resentment against them, you will not be okay with God either. It's going to create a barrier between you and him. Just like there's a barrier between. So I said, you have to look at them, and you have to look at them the same way that God looks at them. you got to realize he is, he is insecure, and he is fearful, and he is greedy, and he is prideful, and all of those things. And you have to be able to see all of that in him and have pity on him, not anger towards him. You have to recognize that at times in your life you have been just like him. And so even if he never comes to confess to you, even if he never says anything to you, even if he never changes, you are going to have to learn how to extend empathetic grace to him and forgive him at least in your heart, even if the relationship can never be repaired. Because if you don't, it will eat you alive. So you are going to forgive. You're going to forgive. It might take some time. And it's going to be hard, but you're going to do it. And he looked back. I don't know if that's exactly what I said, but you get the point. And he said, I'm going to forgive them. All right. I talked to him not long ago. I said, how are you doing with that whole thing? This was like several years ago. He's like, I'm getting there. <laughs> like I said, it can, take, it can take some time. We're hard cases. We're hard cases. People are tough. Uh, Martin Luther King Jr. said, he who is devoid of the power to forgive is devoid of the power to love. There's some good in the worst of us, and there's some evil in the best of us. When we discover this, we are less prone to hate our enemies. So first comes empathy, being able to put ourselves in their shoes and realize we might do the same thing or something like it or have. And the next thing comes grace. Grace is undeserved favor unmerited, unwarranted. We have to make the choice not to continue to punish them for that, 
for what they've done. That doesn't mean there's not consequences for what they've done, because there are. There are, there are physical consequences, there can be legal consequences, there can be emotional consequences, there can be relational consequences. It's not about consequences, it's about the position of our heart to release the desire to punish them. Because that's not what God does with us. God's desire is not to punish us for our sin. Punish us, punishment has to do with fear. But God does allow consequences to happen because of our sin, even when he forgives us for it, because he wants us to learn. And so sometimes in a relationship, there have to be consequences for sin, because not because we want to punish the other person when they've offended us, but because we want them to learn, because we love them, because we want them to grow and want them to change. And when we do this, it creates the opportunity for peace in our relationship. Bold humility and empathetic grace creates the opportunity for peace in our relationship. Not necessarily restoration of the relationship, but peace. Paul says this when he's writing to the Christians in Rome. He says, repay no one evil for evil. Romans chapter 12, verse 17. Repay no one evil for evil. Have regard for good things in the sight of all men. If it is possible, as much as it depends on you, live peaceably with all men. Beloved, do not avenge yourselves, but rather give place to wrath. For it is written, vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. Therefore, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he's thirsty, give him a drink. For in so doing, you will heap coals of fire on his head. Do not over, be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. And then he says to the, the Christians in Ephesus, he says, uh, Ephesians chapter 4, verse 31 and 32. Let all bitterness, wrath, anger, clamor, and evil speaking be put away from you with all malice. And be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, even as God in Christ forgave you. Now, it sounds easy, but it's probably the hardest thing that we will ever do. And you want to wonder, you're wondering exactly how this works or how you do it, how you put on this mindset. It's really incredible uh, interaction that happens in Matthew. It's recorded in Matthew chapter 18. And if you're struggling with forgiving someone, I want to strongly encourage you to sometime this week read all of Matthew chapter 18. Jesus deals with this. All right. Jesus is um, talking about forgiveness. All right. He's talking about forgiveness. And he says that if someone sins against you, what you should do is first you should go to them one-on-one. -on -one and you should tell them what they've done. And if they repent, if they turn around, that's great. You've won your brother. You, you can have peace in the relationship, right? You chose grace and they chose humility. That's what happened. All right. And this, this passage, by the way, Matthew 18, this part is, is about when someone sins against you. It's often used to try and define church discipline or other things like that. Or, or sometimes it's gossip that happens as a result of Matthew 18. Matthew 18 is when somebody sins against you. That's what he's talking. That's what Jesus is talking about. You go to him first, one-on-one. -on -one. Now, how often do we actually do that? <laughs> Usually it's like go to four or five other people <laughs> before we go to that person. Jesus said you go to them first. And if they turn around, they repent, that's great. Then you've won your brother. But if that doesn't work, then what you do is you take two, uh, two or three other people with you. It's a little mini intervention. Okay? You take two or three other people with you, and you show them their fault so that it can be attested to by these witnesses. And if they repent and they change their mind, that's awesome. You've won your brother. That's, and the goal of this whole thing, by the way, is peace. It is to win your brother. Right? Not to go through the steps so that you can you know, toss them aside. It's you go through the steps so that you can uh, have peace in the relationship. He said, but if they won't listen to them, then you take it to the church, which would be to bring it to the leaders of the church. Bring it to the elders of the church. You bring it to the church, and you let them hear what's going on. And if, and if that person will then repent and change their mind, then you've won your brother. That's awesome. But if they won't, then what you do is you treat them as, as you would a pagan or a tax collector. So if this is a Christian, this is a brother, right? This is a Christian we're talking about here. If they won't repent, they won't turn away from their sin, then you set them out of the fellowship of your church. You treat them like you would an outsider. They're not a part of that, of that church family, all right? 
And so Jesus says this, and obviously the goal of this is restoration. That's the goal. It's a process of restoration, not of getting someone out. (laughs) It's a process of restoration. That's the goal. And Peter is listening to this, and he says, whoa, 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 wait a second, Jesus. Exactly how many times should I go through this with someone? How many times do I have to forgive someone, you know, subtext, who continues to sin against me? He's like, seven times? That that feels like a good number. That's the number we always use, right? Seven, that's the number of perfection. Seven times? And then, like, we're good at seven, and then eight, you know? We can, we can finally move on and not do this anymore? And Jesus is like, no, 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 no. <laughs> now, I tell you, 70 times 7. Peter's like, good, because I got a guy who is on 489, okay? <laughs> I mean, that's not what Jesus is saying. He's not saying it's 400. What is it, 490? Am I doing my math right? Is that right, Seven t- 70 times 7? Okay, thank you. Sorry. I was a math major in college. <laughs> uh, so, uh, but yeah, anyway, that's not what he's doing. Jesus is using hyperbole. He uses it all the time in Scripture, and it's an intentional exaggeration. He is saying, Jesus is saying, every single time. And they're clearly having a hard time wrapping their, eye, their, their minds around the idea of extending grace to someone every single time. Because <laughs> that is not natural or human thing to do. And Jesus says, let me tell you a story. Tell you a story about a man who owed a king. And I'm just going to put it in our own terms for today. But a man who owed a king $10,000. And the king decided to settle accounts. And so he called everyone to him. And he brought this man in front of him. And the man didn't have the money to pay. And so he begged the king. He begged him. He said, please, please, please forgive my debt. Forgive my debt. And the king with grace and mercy, totally forgave his debt, wiped it away, wiped it clean. And that man left there, and as he was walking, he found a man who owed him $100. And he grabbed that man by the shirt, and he said, pay me what you owe me, or I'll have you thrown into prison. And the man said, I can't, I can't pay it. And so he had that man thrown into debtor's prison for the $100 he owed him. Well, when the king heard about it, He was none too pleased. And when he heard that the man he'd forgiven $10,000 threw another man in prison over $100, he said, you take that man and you throw him into prison until he pays back every single cent that he owes me. And the point that Jesus is making is that when we stand and realize the way that God loves us and what he has forgiven, our debt that's been paid, the way that he forgives us every single time we come to him and confess our sin to him. He is faithful and just and forgives us our sins and cleanses us from all unrighteousness. Says Every single time we go to him and forgive him. I believe Jesus is saying God's perspective is, how dare you? How dare you, in light of the grace and forgiveness I have shown you, not show that to other people the same way? And so we need to forgive as hard as that is. Because when we don't forgive, it not only creates a problem between us and that person, it creates a problem between us and God. Because we are not behaving and we are not acting in the way that he has designed for us to behave and act in his character and nature. And that's to be gracious and to be forgiving. And so Jesus says at the end of all of that, a a verse that's often misunderstood, I'm afraid, but he says at the end of that, Matthew 18, verse 35, so my heavenly Father will will also will do to you if each of you from his heart does not forgive his brother his trespasses. And so we need to forgive in the same way that we have been forgiven. We need to be at peace with God and we need to be at peace with each other. And so I just want to ask you, because I know you've already been thinking about him. Who is it that you need to forgive? 
Now, in a perfect world, if they've hurt you, they would go first, but that's not always the way it works. And so maybe you need to go first. You know, God went first with us. He went first with us. Christ died for us while we were yet sinners. He stood and he opened up his arms to us and he said, you come to me and I'm, I'm here and I'm ready. All you've got to do is be humble enough to come and believe. And so for some of you, you've got somebody who hasn't asked for forgiveness, maybe never will, and all you need to do is you need to open up your arms. You need to see them the way God sees them. To put yourself in their shoes and just open up your arms. One who has hurt you, and they've been asking for forgiveness, and been, they know what they did was wrong, and they've been looking for forgiveness from you, and you've been unwilling to give it. And I'm telling you, you need to give it. It doesn't mean things won't change. It doesn't mean there aren't consequences. But you need to release your right to punish them. You need to put yourself in their shoes. Who do you need? And then maybe you, it's who do you need forgiveness of? Because you've hurt someone, you've failed them, and your kept you from it. Your fear has kept you from being honest and humble. And today, you need to go to them and you need to say, I know what I did. I know it was wrong. And I'm asking you to forgive me. And take your chances with them. And you don't know how they're going to react. Maybe you do. You know their character. And you know how they react. But your responsibility is to do your part as far as it depends on you to live peaceably with all men. So what I want to do is I want to take a moment now, and we're going to pray. And we're going to use this time as an opportunity to thank God for the forgiveness that he's extended to us and the forgiveness he continues to extend to us when we come to him. And then we're going to lift up all these situations, everything that you're thinking about. It's on your heart. It's on your mind. And I'm going to ask God through the leadership of the Spirit to move in you so you know what to do. So you know what to say. You know when to say it. You know how to do it and to give you peace with whatever the result is. Okay, so let's, spend, let's pray together now. Father, we come to you, and uh, first of all, we, we want to recognize the example of love that you have set for us. And so, God, we thank you so much that in your love and in your kindness, you decided to make a way for us to be in the relationship with you that you want us in, that you created us for. We thank you that you've created that way through your Son so that we can be forgiven of our sin as Christ gives his life in our place, taking on our sin. And God, I say for myself and for so many other people in the room, maybe for someone for the first time today, God, I say, we believe in that. We trust in Jesus for salvation, to do what we can't do. We believe that he died in our place, paying for our sin. And so our hope and our trust is in that. And we believe that he was placed into a tomb and that on the third day he rose again. Proving that he's no ordinary man. That he is your son. And that he has power over sin and death. And so we trust in that. And we know that because of that and because of our faith and the grace that you extend to us. That we will be with you forever. But as we continue to live here, you know the temptations that we face and the struggle, the internal struggle that we have between our human nature, our sin nature, and the Spirit. And sometimes we, we win there and we follow the Spirit and we honor you, God, but so many times we don't. And so, God, I thank you that you stand ready to forgive at all times, that you're always there with your arms open, but we, you're waiting for us to confess it to you. And so, God, if any of us in the room have sin right now that we know we've, that has gone unconfessed, we haven't shared that with you, we lift that up to you right now, God. We confess it to you. 
And even individuals, God, I pray, would be in their own hearts and minds, would be saying specific things to you right now and asking forgiveness of specific things so that we can clear things up between you, so that we can have the connection and fellowship with you that you want us to have. And then, God, in this room are represented a lot of relationships and a lot of pain and a lot of difficulty. And I pray right now that you would give us the desire and the boldness to forgive or to ask forgiveness. Whatever the situations are, whatever everybody's dealing with, you know what every single one of those things are. You know exactly what they need. In order for healing and peace to be pursued. And so, God, I pray through the power of your spirit and the leadership of your spirit in our lives, you'd show us. What do we need to say? What do we need to confess? What do we need to forgive? What does the outcome of that look like in our relationship and in our life? God, we're trusting you. We're trusting you to lead us. We're trusting you to set the example for us, to continue picking us up when we fail, and that you do the same through us with others. It's heavy, and it's a lot. So, God, we need your help. And we know that as you help us and as you lead us, that you want to work through us and you want to do things in us that are uncomfortable. But things that will lead us closer and closer to what you created us for, the people you designed us to be. That you have the power to take relationships that are broken, relationships that seem hopeless, relationships that are destitute. You have the power through humility and grace to build those things back together. To rebuild trust. To rebuild hope, to rebuild joy, to rebuild love. We know that you can do that. And so we're asking you to do that. We're asking you to do, in, in the case where we have an issue with someone else, we're asking you to do in them what we couldn't possibly do in them. That you would be speaking to them, that you would be leading them, that you would be drawing them back into fellowship with you and back into fellowship with us. And so I ask God that you would do that, and we trust you. We want you to know that we trust you. That you can make broken things new. That you can heal and you can restore. And that's what we want to see happen. So God, we ask that you do that. And you use us and you encourage us as you do. It's in your name we pray. Amen.